Iowa City City Council Economic Development Committee, uh, Friday, September 15th, 2017. Uh, item number two, oh, I'm sorry, normally go around the room and introduce people. Can I get people in the audience first? I'm Charlie Easttown. Brian Semp, Iowa City Area Chamber of Commerce. Carol Balsack, Greater Iowa City Area Simon Andrew, assistant to the city manager. We've got Jeff Fruin. Jeff Fruin. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy Ford, economic development Jim uh, coordinator. Oh, sorry. Jim Throgmorton, mayor. Rockton Cole, city council. Susan Mim, city council. Thank you. It just helps with the minutes. Uh, number two, consider approval of minutes from the July 21st, 2017 economic development committee meeting. So moved. Second. Moved by Cole, second by Throgmorton. Any discussion? Yes. Uh, I want to clarify a point in the minutes uh, concerning the lead silver requirement and where it would apply. Thank you, Jim, because that was on my agenda, too. Yeah, so uh, we may be on the same point here. I don't know. But on page six of the packet, the minutes state, Throgmorton suggested that if there is TIF support provided for any residential or mixed-use project anywhere within the city, lead silver should apply including eight energy efficiency points. Uh, Susan, you expressed your, her view, your view, but I don't know what Rockney said. I know I left the meeting thinking lead silver with eight energy efficiency points would extend throughout to any TIF district, any TIF policy or a TIF uh, application TIF. coming our way. That was my interpretation yeah, as well, Jim. Yeah, had to do Jim. with you know, mixed use and residential right. kind of stuff. Yeah, was is that what you understood well. too? Yep. Yeah, so that has implications for uh, the, the, the draft we have in front of us. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Any other comments related to the minutes? All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes 3-0. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I'll get back. I should have printed my agenda. Okay. Item number three, consider recommendation to the city council for revised TIF policies. Um, like to start off with a couple things, acknowledging uh, correspondence that we got uh, from Nancy Bird on Monday, September 11th, and from Tim Crum, the incoming chair of the Chamber of Commerce uh, that received that uh, yesterday, Thursday, September 14th. Uh, I think both of these um, pieces of correspondence indicate some concerns that the organizations that are represented um, have in terms of um, some of the changes that we're looking at making in TIF. So I just want to make sure that they're entered, entered into the record and make sure that they are part of our minutes um, or at least part of the packet for next yeah, time. Fair Please, enough. Susan, I want to uh, note that uh, I guess you, Rockney, you and I received emails from mm -hmm. John Balmer yep. and Tim, no, Todd uh, Verhoff. Yep. Uh, and, but they just came to us, so I didn't share them, um, but they did come to the two of us. And they expressed, um, you know, a strong concern about, I don't know, the economic development implications of the uh, amendments that have been proposed. I would encourage that those are forwarded on to Wendy. I'd like to. I would certainly be interested sure. in seeing a copy of those and have them as part of our packet, um, part Agreed. of the record for yeah. the future. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Wendy, could you... Uh, remind me to forward those two emails to you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, given the, the strong concerns, and I realize we've been at this for about a year now from the time we started the public input and did our, did our focus groups and everything last fall. From my perspective, we're looking at making some, some very, very significant changes um, that will have 
unknown impacts on the economic development downtown um, in terms of what we're talking about doing. One of the suggestions that was made in, in one of the pieces of correspondence, this came from Tim Crum, uh, was a request to actually defer action on this until there was a little bit more time to study this and maybe get a little bit more input on potential impacts uh, on the economic development of the downtown area. Given that, and this may be a little bit out of our ordinary operations, but I'm gonna make a motion to defer action on the, on the revised TIF policies, uh, I guess I would say for at least three months until we can get more input and do more analysis on the impact economically downtown. I will take it the motion dies for lack of a second. If the record would reflect that, please. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I'd like to follow up on that a little bit, Susan. I think there'll be ample opportunity to discuss this legislative, um, the legislative um, proposals at a council level, assuming we're able to um, produce something either as a result of today's meeting or the next meeting scheduled for the committee. Uh, there's no reason why the council can't uh, um, bring the topic up invite people to speak, defer action uh, to the following meeting, invite people to speak. If necessary, defer action to the following meeting, invite people to speak. There's, uh, so there's ample opportunity for further uh, input into the legislative process, policy-making process, once it gets to the council level. My only response to this is I think, particularly, I think typically once it gets to that council level, um, and it actually has a, it's coming there with an actual recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think council tends to act very strongly upon those uh, recommendations from any of the committees. And so that's where my preference is that we would actually defer this um, and get more of that input at this point in time and maybe be able to get more input on what that actual impact might be on the economic development of downtown prior to actually making a recommendation to council. All right, moving forward then to consider a recommendation, I would suggest that we um, start through the policy, the draft policy that we um, have in front of us. Starting with sustainability, um, given that we have addressed that one issue of the fact that the lead silver lead certification would in fact apply um, citywide to any TIF uh, any urban renewal TIF areas across the city. With that change, are there any other uh, recommended changes to the section on sustainability? No, but just to make sure we're on the same wavelength, it, it's my understanding that it would be lead silver with at least eight points being awarded for the energy performance stuff. Yeah, I'm refer basically what I'm saying is it would be the language that is in front of us in the draft, except for the change being made that this applies to all TIF districts across the city, not just the downtown. And is, that is it? It's not all projects within no, all No, it's, it's only it's residential office and mixed-use buildings. I believe yep. that. Yeah, that's does, what I understood. That's the way we understood it. Do you, does, does any member of staff have any concerns with that that we have not kind of fleshed out? Oh, so you're essentially isolating the, the industrial projects. Right. Correct. Okay. Right. Um, Separating them out. Separating them yeah. 
and and we also you know said uh, remodeling did not apply and if it was a jobs tiff that did not apply it's all new construction right yeah so okay um, moving on to downtown building heights and character, there's quite a bit of change to this with the addition of uh, the text that Jim had sent in since our last meeting. Um, comments that I'm going to make aren't going to surprise any of you, but I'm, I am not supportive of attaching the map um, that is on page 106 of the uh, that desired height map from the um, downtown and riverfront crossings plan. I don't believe, um, and we, we had a memo from Jeff explaining where that map came from and kind of the process that was used. I don't believe that that map has um, been widely enough scrutinized by the public to, to indicate that they really, in fact, do support uh, those limitations on height. I, I don't feel that some of those height designations um, or categories are, are really consistent with some of the language within the document. Didn't understand. Um, the, the, to me, the document talks about higher buildings um, at the corners. I guess, you know, and, I, and I've asked this question, you know, in this meeting before, how do, how do people perceive um, that that wording of higher, and at least at one time it was answered, well, higher than what's there. Um, when I read the document, it talks about the higher buildings at the corner, talks about them having a base that is basically the height of, you know, kind of existing buildings. So let's say they're adjacent to a three-story building, would maybe have a base that was three stories and, and potentially set back from there. But then it doesn't give I don't believe in the in the verbiage any real restriction on what that higher height should be. Um, I, I find it very concerning that we and I've I've mentioned this property before because it's the one that just sticks out to me the most is the Mearden Supel Downer property on the corner of College and Lynn that um, that would be restricted to six stories. Um, that that just logically doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, why that would be restricted to six when the parking lot for the U.S. Bank building has a seven to 15 story um, potential height based on this map. Um, my concern goes back to some of the economics that, that some of the developers talked about. If, if they can't get TIF for higher buildings, then what we're going to end up with is these like five to seven story, depending on what the map says, um, because they can go up basically to, to five or six, seven stories without having to do steel construction. And the biggest use for those is going to be student housing. Um, you know, you may have resident or you may have um, uh, retail on the first floor. In all likelihood, you're not going to get Class A office space on a second floor if you're putting student housing above it. I think it leads to the potential for incredible underutilization of certain locations downtown if we are if people are restricted to following um, the heights that are listed on this map. Um, Additionally, the, the language that's been added that talks about getting exceptions to those height limitations, um, 
based on only two factors, historic preservation or exceptional public benefit, leave me with the perception that the, the view is that height is bad. And so we're willing to trade and, and, you know, and accept higher heights that we, quote, don't, don't really want by either doing historic preservation or exceptional public benefit. It seems to me that you, it sets up this good-bad kind of thing that we really don't want height, but okay, we'll, we'll do height if we can get these other things. I, to me, height is not inherently bad. It depends on where it is, it depends on the design, it depends on other things. But just sticking straight to that map basically says to me height is inherently bad. Um, and, that, and that tends to be the, the uh, view of it. Can I know um, one thing? Sure. I'm sorry, yep. just because you're, you're saying or for those two things and there's an and here in the text. Thank you. I missed that. So, um, so I cannot support uh, the language as it is currently written on the building height and character section. So. Okay, well, I drafted that language, as you know. And what I tried to do is... Um, uh, and draw upon what Wendy had provided us, uh, but also follow uh, what I took to be a logical sequence of reasoning, moving from the initial point about uh, re requiring compliance with the, uh, uh, with the downtown part of the comprehensive plan, and then laying out a situation where uh, deviations would be accepted, and then trying to define, provide some clarity about what uh, what exceptional public benefits would be. So just, just to be clear, I think what I proposed is fully consistent with what was before us last time. Uh, and then the, the detail about exceptional public benefits that would need more, uh, more discussion, I believe. But I want to say a couple other things. Uh, the, the first is probably a, a general point that applies to um, the, the communications uh, 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 Rockney and I have received, but also the ones that we received from Nancy and, and uh, uh, Tim. I, I want everybody to know I am very eager to hear specific recommendations about how we can use TIF to support both development and preservation in the downtown and thereby fulfill the overall vision expressed in the comprehensive plan, quote, to preserve and enhance the historic buildings and character of the downtown while encouraging appropriate infill development with a mix of building uses. I'm eager to hear pro positive proposals about how we can accomplish both of those things. Absent such recommendations, I think we need to move forward with what's been uh, basically been presented. And then I want to add a couple other things, I guess, here. Um, it, it seems to me that I'm, I'm going to give you a, a simple equation. The equation is 1 plus 1 equals 2. It seems to me the comprehensive plan presents us with a 1 plus 1 equals 2 equation, with 1 being preservation of historic structures, and the other one being development. So one preservation plus one development equals two. And uh, I, I don't understand it, but many uh, 
critics of uh, what's been proposed in terms of our draft policy seem to equate one with two, that one equals two, one being development. Uh, the critics have, have not directed attention, any attention, in any of the processes we've gone through about how TIF policy can be used to, you know, preserve the historic character of the downtown while also uh, advancing development, et cetera. So that absence of concern for preservation of the most important part of this city and the, that gives this city historic character and identity is really very frustrating. So just to repeat my general point, I'm eager to hear recommendations about how we can use TIF policy to accomplish both of those objectives simultaneously. And if I don't hear it, I want to move ahead. I guess I would add one to that and try to make three, since we're doing arithmetic today. Um, <laughs> the other important fundamental question for me is, is we're, what we're really doing is we're giving developers a lens to help them identify in their development process. The third point is how does the community at large benefit from the use of TIF? We understand the argument that TIF, of course, benefits the developer, him or herself. I also understand that when you grow the tax base in the abstract sense, you can have more tax revenues. We get that argument too. But I think the more concrete issue is, is how does the development itself benefit everyone? And I think you talked about, for example, an art center or something generally open to the public that isn't just an amenity for the residents of the building itself, but is something that the entire community can enjoy. Now, I'm not gonna enumerate every one of those things that that, 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 that would consist of, but I think that's what we're really talking about. And ultimately, at the end of the day, as Eleanor has reminded us several times, this is not a regulatory code. This is gonna ultimately be interpreted by a sitting body of four or more people up there in, in, those, in those seats. Um, and I think the other thing is too, is that for example, we haven't had this discussion in detail, and I'm not saying I want to do this, but our map that we seem to be struggling with so much, um, it can be modified. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, but it have to be modified through a public process. Uh, I'm not saying modify the entire comprehensive plan, but so for example, one thing that jumps out at me, and I'm not saying that we should decide that now, is this U.S. bank location where there's a little tiny square for seven to 15 levels, and there's another area outside there, four to six level. Well, that strikes me as a location that, look, seven to 15 on that particular site, I'm not saying I want to do that, but I, is it, I mean, Jeff, maybe you could clarify. Um, how hard would it be if we wanted to? Presumably it would just be, um, we'd probably want four or more in the council seat just to change the height limitations. Um, the other part of it is, as you identified a public process, I think absolutely. Ultimately we're allowing, we're allowing these exceptions. We're not capping anything. This is not a regulatory code. And all it will do for the developer that wants to participate in this public process to engage and to get the feedback on that. So that is something that um, I guess the map, I think there's a lot of different seven to 15 level areas that I think we could change into the future, but we would do that through a public process. What I'm trying to avoid is that all of a sudden in the future, whoever sits on council seats in the future, 
all of a sudden you get a proposal, it comes up at a meeting, and all of a sudden the community is surprised. And we want to just communicate this, what our values are. So that's where I come in. Um, I, these colors presumably can be changed. I mean, does anyone have any feedback? I mean, how easy would it be to change the colors if we decided to do it? I mean, if we adopt this as policy, um, what would we need to do to change the colors on this map? Well, I, I think the simplest thing to do would be to amend the comprehensive plan and, and put a new exhibit yeah. in the comprehensive plan and with, with whatever changes you wanted, which yeah. the, the, the council would do through planning and zoning process. As part of this uh, uh, TIF policy, I, I suppose you could um, list exhibit D as an amended version of the plan, but I, I think that those would best be left in sync. Yeah. Um, so I, I would suggest you go through the comp plan process. Yeah, I mean, so that would be, but we wouldn't necessarily have to modify the comprehensive plan. We have to reopen the entire thing, or could you make a tweak to the comprehensive plan consistent with the de development proposal? I mean, I guess that's what I'd like clarity on. No, I think if you're going to, if you want to amend the exhibit in the comprehensive plan, it's a full amendment to the comprehensive okay. plan. Okay. Um, otherwise, you need to build the flexibility in this policy to, to, to deviate. Well, and I think as to the latter point, Jeff, uh, I mean, it seems to me that, you know, we are incorporating by reference the comprehensive plan into this policy. And I think that if we want to have a deviation, I don't see why we can't do that, but I think it should be through a public process first before um, we end up changing this expectation, because that's really what this is, is this represents expectations of the community as a whole. We as elected leaders can modify that, but before we do that, I think we need to give the public input to, to change that. So I guess to clarify my point, I would like you know, into the future if people want to change this in terms of the plan itself. I don't think we need to change the comp plan. I think we can build that into the policy itself. So in other words, you're saying, Rockney, that you think, I guess I'm trying to make sure I understand what you're saying, that in terms of changing the map or the flexibility of the use of the map, building that into the policy, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I'm not quite following you. I think uh, you and I are on the same wavelength there. Frankly, I was a little bit confused as you were talking there at the end. Uh, one, it's one thing to say we're going to retain the comp plan as it's written, mm -hmm. except go through a public process in terms of reconsidering the details about this and revising this. I mean, I, we, we could do that. I don't think it'll be easy, but we can do it. And we don't have to amend the whole comprehensive plan or the whole downtown part to do that. Uh, then there's a question about between now and that moment. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think in the interim, if, if that's what we choose to do, if we want to move in that direction, uh, we probably would need to have some process for it, permitting deviations yeah. from, from the general point about in the policy strict as opposed com to uh, compliance with the downtown part of the comp plan and this particular map. We'd have to, in the interim, have some process for deviations. Mm -hmm. And that's the point that I'm making, Jim. I think the question is how strong is your your, your deviation, how I shouldn't say strong, how flexible is your deviation language? Um, because we did identify there's certainly some flaws in this map. Yeah, the one-story one building, the U.S. Bank lot that you brought up, it's, it's really unlikely that that property is going to develop with 
one seven to fifteen tower uh, story tower and and another four to six story tower on that one block. So there are there are some flaws in that map, but again, if if the flexibility is built in that 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 meets a level that you're all comfortable with or the council's comfortable with, then I don't think you need to go through the process of amending the comprehensive plan. I guess I'm comfortable with that flexibility. Um, ultimately, what we're talking about is we've always acknowledged that we don't have to apply every word of the comprehensive plan um, and that we were, as a discretionary matter, going to try to incorporate that as a guide to future development. But um, I think in terms of the policy itself, I don't see why we can't build in that flexibility for the appropriate project. But when that would occur, we would have, um, you know, we would have a, a community discussion about that, and I think that's really what we're trying to avoid. And that's, and as I see it, what is the concern that we've had with heights? It's not that we don't like height, and I'll just say for the record, contrary to public perception, I am not categorically against 15-story buildings. I'm not. Um, I think it's a question of where, where it's located, um, and I think also how much the uh, building itself is in line with the document itself. So I think, you know, I'm willing to have the flexibility in the policy itself, but I do want to make sure that the flexibility doesn't then swallow the plan itself, and then we'll end up right back where we started from. Yeah. So I think that's where you get your language in terms of the exceptional circumstances. Yeah, and yeah. On, the, on the height point, uh, just to be so people know, the, the, the height diagram itself indicates that there are several locations where buildings of up to 15 stories are permissible. Uh -huh. So it's not as if we're saying everything has to be two to three stories in height, and we're not doing that. It's not, it's not in what was proposed or anything. So if, in the end, there's a good way to amend this, I'd be open to that for sure. I think it's an urban design question, really, uh -huh. uh, and that we need some help in doing that. I, I think staff would want to have some help, but but nonetheless, I, I'm certainly open to the idea in the end of amending this, but not now. I think I think we need to move ahead yep. now. So I, agree, I think the key focus for the committee today is on the deviation language. Uh, so. If, if a project comes forward that is um, outside of the bounds of, of the height uh, category uh, of the particular parcel, what considerations, that's the, what considerations may, um, uh, uh, may be viewed in order to, to move it up to the next height level or a higher level. And as uh, Susan mentioned, the way it's drafted right now, there would have to be there's kind of a two-tier test. One is there's some historic preservation benefit, whether it's to the property itself or adjacent properties. And there's this exceptional benefits language. Right. So the, the, I think the challenge, or at least uh, what you need to recognize, is there are going to be some properties in this downtown area that may not have the opportunity for a historic preservation benefit. If the property itself is not uh, historic or um, eligible to be historic, uh, and if it's not adjacent to other uh, historic structures, then that property by itself may not be able to satisfy this criteria. Um, I, I haven't gone through here to tell you exactly where those might be, but I, I, think, I think there could be um, uh, some examples there. 
The exceptional public benefits language, I think, is, is pretty flexible as written. Um, it, it states these public benefits may include but are not limited to. So I think you're trying to provide some, some illustrative examples. Um, and I would, um, I would take that to say that um, if there's examples beyond these four presented here that um, are brought forward by a developer, that you all would consider those, and you could under this, under, under this policy. So to me, uh, the, the real limitation on the, on the deviation language is that mandatory historic preservation piece, knowing that not all properties may not. So I have a suggestion. I think you're right, Jeff. And I have a suggestion then uh, about that, make it more conditional. In other words, if, if a proposed development is located adjacent to uh, properties that are eligible for historic landmark designation, then the um, uh, the the project must uh, facilitate architecturally material and and or financially preservation and enhancement of those adjacent uh, properties. All right. So the, you understand. So make that conditional instead of something mandatory that all projects would have to do. And then with regard to the exceptional public benefits, uh, I can assure you, uh, I recognize the challenge associated with defining what those exceptional public benefits would be. And what I presented in this draft was uh, my efforts to define them, uh, but I'm definitely open to hearing other ideas. And, and I think uh, the, uh, the property owners and developing community could identify, um, uh, what's the right word, I, what, what words did I use? Exceptional public benefits that they think would warrant Deviation from the, the you know the the, the general principle, uh, and other members of the community might have some other things in mind too. Uh, and I I presented what four that I, it's I thought would be worth getting on the table. Well, I like two of your suggestions, Jim. It says incorporation of attractive public space that is available and accessible to all city residents. I think that's broad enough. That's what I'm talking about is not only an amenity for the residents, not that there won't be amenities ex exclusively for the uh, uh, residents, that's fine. But if you have a structure that benefits from TIF, a portion of that should at least be considered in terms of this deviation. And one thing I'd want to clarify, Jim, are you saying that you would need historic preservation and an exceptional public benefit? Because I would be comfortable with an or. Um, well, or I, definitely, I definitely meant uh, and. And. If for any project that's located next to historic um, okay. properties eligible for historic landmark designation, I, I think it's important for the project to somehow contribute to their preservation. And I identified three different <laughs> ways it could do that but then also provide okay. some exceptional public benefits. Okay, well, I guess as long as I want it to be strict, okay. frankly. I don't want to make it easy for people to get deviations, but I want to have a pathway yeah. where deviations can be obtained. And, and to clarify, uh, Mayor, your historic preservation piece there, if, if a uh, property is not historic itself but sits next to a historic property, um, are you looking are, are you thinking that the, the design of whatever is proposed is complementary and, and enhances those nearby um, historic buildings? Or are you actually thinking that the developer, who may or may not control the, the adjacent properties, has, has uh, 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 takes on the ability to designate it historic or to reinvest in that property? 
Well, that's why I use the, 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 these three different words, architecturally, materially, and or financially. I think there are several different okay. ways that uh, so uh, be, a developer I, I think that I think that we're on the same page then. So if I own a property that's next to a historic property that, that Simon here owns, uh, what you're going to be looking for is if I'm building something that it is complementary and enhances the presence of that building and doesn't necessarily uh, detract from it in some way. Potentially. That's one of those categories. Those three key words are the okay. ones that I put weight on. And then if it's not next to a historic structure, then you would agree then that then it would just be the standalone exceptional it would have public. Be exceptional, yep. okay. exceptional public benefits. Well, yes. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Okay. All right. Any other comments then on the height and character? I do have a couple of nitpicky things, but I, I think they're important to consider. Um, the exceptional public benefits language of that paragraph is what I'm looking at. Um, the first sentence includes the city's current statement on fostering a more inclusive, just, and sustainable city. Just want you to remind you that that language potentially could change as soon as a couple of months when the council does it. His, his. It could, yes. So one option would be leave it in and amend the TIF policy if there's a conflict after the strategic plan's adopted or put the period at the end of strategic plan vision and just bring it automatically refer to that document. Sorry, I found myself trying to find something and I lost the train of your thought at the very yeah, end. If, if, you were, if you were to end the sentence after, after the word vision, uh, so it's, it would say, and which advances the strategic plan vision, then you're not going to get into a situation where a revision to the strategic plan uh, oh, I see. may cause some conflicts here. Um. I personally would rather uh, retain the inclusive, just, and sustainable language. I think it's really important for our council. Uh -huh. uh, and if a future council wants to amend it, well, they would have the power to do that. Okay. So you could also remove the reference to strategic plan then. Yeah, because who's going to be against those things? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a good suggestion. That makes sense. Um, the, the last uh, clarification I would have in, in this paragraph uh, gets at uh, your example number four, which is carbon neutral lead gold or platinum certification. Um, I'm just trying to uh, interpret whether uh, you are saying it would be a carbon neutral lead gold building or carbon neutral lead platinum building, or if you intended for there to be a comma after carbon neutral, so carbon neutral lead gold or platinum. Because you can certainly achieve lead platinum or lead gold without achieving carbon neutral status. Good question. I, yeah, I think I was conflating those. Hmm. I, I think obviously, if, if there's a if there's a comma there. It's a, it's a much lower standard to reach if you just have to achieve a lead gold. That's a, a, a lower threshold. Uh, contrarily, if it's a carbon neutral lead gold or platinum, that's a very tall um, uh, threshold to meet. Uh, I use it, yeah, I think you raise an important question. Um, I used the term carbon neutral because I had just come back from the Mayor's Innovation Project Conference in Burlington. And one of the main themes being addressed at that conference was uh, net zero cities. 
So I was trying to imagine how, if we really wanted to push the envelope, which I think is what's appropriate for special benefits, <laughs> exceptional public benefits, uh, then maybe we should have carbon neutral. But I wasn't thinking fully or thorough, th far enough through about the comma. <laughs> Why don't we just say carbon yeah, I don't know. neutral, comma, lead gold or platinum certification? They're all three really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be willing to, to go with that. And knowing that we'll be entering the, the, the council level uh, legislative process and maybe we'll hear some feedback that changes our minds about that. What about the or versus and? Uh, are, are we saying that all four criteria would be um, have to be met for the? Because I, I think, of, for example, I love the one for job training and opportunities for low-income youth. Nothing better than that. Awesome, but but that may be for every project difficult to um, certify that we're doing. Um, so would you want and or or there? I, I guess I think it should be or. So it's I think yeah. and works right me because it says these public benefits may include but are not limited to and it's just a list of list. Yeah. Okay. So I just you're okay with the and means that it's okay. one or more. Because I thought four would be pretty high. Yeah, that I interpreted it the way Eleanor okay. because it was a list. Okay. Yeah, that could be any one or more of those. With regard to that particular topic, job training, et cetera. Uh, I'd be curious to get staff, um, some staff input on that, because uh, I'm not entirely sure how that might work with regard to a particular development proposal uh, that, you know, involves the use of TIF. So, you know, it, are, are there challenges that I'm not conscious of that I should be aware of? Well, I, I think it's, I, I think it's, um, probably a, a long shot um, until there is a, a entity that wants to serve that purpose. You know, if a nonprofit or uh, a, a labor group uh, were to step up and say, okay, we, we want to establish this type of program um, and it's just a matter of us finding space, then we can look to be opportunistic and try to work them into a, a particular space that, that we may be talking to a developer about. But um, I've had some conversations with trades and labor representatives, and they're they're not looking to establish such a space right now. I'm not aware <coughs> of a nonprofit that's that's pushing this particular issue right now. So unless the unless the city's going to take on that role, which I wouldn't suggest, I, I think it's going to be a long shot. Now it could be that it, impossible. It, it could be that the, uh, a private sector company would, you know, maybe have an apprenticeship program, particularly if you're moving to more of a, an industrial type of TIF, you know, um, uh, that, that they might have some sort of program within their existing wheelhouse that, that trains youths or, or has a, a program with, with high schools or something like that. But again, I'm not, I'm not aware of anything like that. What? Oh, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. Anything? Oh, I was just going to say, I guess I would envision it sort of similar to how the affordable housing fund, that a million dollars that was set aside in affordable housing, um, as part of the negotiation process, if such an entity ever emerged in the future, sure. it would just be the contribution. I mean, that's sort of how I'd see the work. That's all I had to say. 
Jeff, how about the, the first um, on the list, the high-quality, low-cost building design, et cetera? Um, I, I certainly understand what you're, you're trying to get at there. Um, Particularly with the retail space, we've we've heard the concern of gentrification and and the difficulty of small businesses being able to stay in the area. Um, I think that second piece of, of number one, which is without increasing the financial gap necessitating TIF support, I'm not sure that's very realistic. Um, I think that's probably what the TIF would be needed for to suppress, help suppress those rents or to uh, help tackle tenant improvements that the, the developer would normally pay that would allow them to offer a lower rent. Um, so if it were me, I would just end that example after businesses and not say without increasing the financial gap. I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, so that probably is a good idea. I, I, I want to say what I was trying to accomplish there. I, I was trying to imagine a really good architect, and of course we have really good architects in our city, might see this as a challenge that would, uh, and uh, that, that that person might want to rise to and uh, try to figure out some innovative uh, aspects of design that would accomplish this objective. Um, I think logically it just doesn't make sense to say, here's when you can get TIF, and one of the conditions is, but you don't need TIF. <laughs> <laughs> Logic. Oh, <laughs> sure. You're you going to tell that joke again? <laughs> All right. I, I don't, do, do you have any objections? No, I think that makes sense to take that out. Okay. Like that's a good point. Okay. Anything else then on the building height and character section? Are we done with that one? Okay. Historic preservation. Um, I just had a question, and, and I'll let Jeff elaborate on this because I, I went in and asked him about this as I was preparing. As you get into that first paragraph after the a, bullets A, B, and C, in a couple of places, um, the word historic or historic structure are used. And my question to Jeff was, how would you interpret these? Because right above that, we have three, um, three ways that properties would be designated. And that word historic by itself doesn't fit any one of those three. And so I was concerned about the ambiguity or, or different interpretations that people might have. So given that, I'll let Jeff tell you what he told me. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a fair point. Um, so you do see under historic preservations that we've we've designated properties in one of three ways, and there's there's actually a fourth, and we just we we moved out the um, the, the the landmarks themselves. So I think these three are really covering the the ones that aren't designated, and A is the individually eligible or key properties those that are eligible to be designated. Then you have contributing and non-contributing properties. So because we make that definition up front, I would look for us to make some changes to the second paragraph that um, use those terms as opposed to architecturally significant or historic. So specifically what I'm thinking is in the third line of that second paragraph, um, it's, uh, it starts with the word rehabilitation. I would say rehabilitation to designated historic landmarks or 
I would strike architecturally significant and replace that with individually eligible slash key properties. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I get your point. I understand. And I, and I think I think that clarifies that issue, Susan. Does that, what about in the next line? Well, it says historic structure. I, it's referring back to the, to, it's in the same sentence, so okay. I, I'm not concerned there. Um, okay. There's another sentence, uh, a couple of lines down, that starts all additions to historically or architectural significant structures, and we'd make that same change there. Okay. Okay. That way it's very clear what we're referring to. Okay. Good idea. Any other questions or concerns about the historic preservation section? Nope. Nope. Uh, affordable housing, any comments or changes there? Nope. Bear with me, keeping up with my notes <laughs> for my own reference, too. And, oops, here, social justice. We're good to go. Quality jobs. I think we pretty much cleaned these up last time. We're good. Um, other public interests? Will this be read consistently with um, exceptional public benefit? Were you intending to read those to, together, Jim, or in terms of deviating from the height guidelines? Oh, that's a good question. Under public interests, is that what you're referring to, yeah, Rocky? The other, yeah, the other. Public no, interests. this this one was actually separate. I, help me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but I think this was referring to a district-wide TIF that we could use for public benefit. Ah, right. Good this, point. This wasn't project-based. Okay. This was using district-wide TIF money um, for public good of arts, cultural activities, that type of thing. Yeah. Like, for example, when we presented the budget, we we indicated. Um, our intention at some point to bring forward to you, you being the council, uh, support of the Englert Theater Capital Campaign. And we would look to use TIF for that, but we wouldn't necessarily, the Englert's not generating tax increment. Well, that's right, yeah. So we would use district TIF to support uh, uh, the preservation of the Englert Theater in that uh, particular instance. Yeah, good deal. Okay. Yep. Right. Um, underwriting and applications, anything there? Well, I guess my recommendation would be that we ask staff to implement the changes that we've talked about today so we could see a final clean version. Most of it's a little bit nitpicky, but there's a couple areas that are not. I think it'd be helpful for us to see a whole clean version before we actually uh, have a vote on yeah, it. So I agree. Any other comments then on that? Nope. Going back to the agenda then, uh, staff report. Uh, next Tuesday, you'll have the Hieronymus Square project on the agenda. Yeah, it is good. And uh, uh, a couple things have changed since you saw their application in July, and I just wanted to bring those forward to you so it wasn't a surprise if you saw any discrepancy between what we talked about 
um, then and, and what you see on Tuesday night. Just a couple of things. The layout for the, um, the vestibule area, that space between the two buildings, has had some modifications to it and where um, square footage in, terrace, in the terrace has changed a little bit. Uh, to make way for moving the swimming pool indoors, which is a requirement of the um, of the hotel brand. Mm -hmm. um, the final numbers on the hotel and residential and parking units have all changed by one or two units or so, but we've made uh, a sentence, I think, or so in the development agreement that allows for any um, any changes like that that aren't some substantive to the um, to the project to be managed okay by the city manager. Um, I think those are the only things. Am I missing anything? Oh, and the affordable housing, yeah, the big thing um, was ironed out when we were here when you were here last, uh, and and they presented. Um, we had talked about having uh, seven affordable units on site. Seven is the amount record required by. Um, they're having 45 residential units on site. Um, they, um, they have committed to putting two of those units on site and have yet to decide um, whether the other five will be satisfied on site or by their paying a fee in lieu of. And then w the way we came about um, agreeing to that was that uh, and help me if I stumble over this or get it backwards. As you know, the TIF requirement uh, is that 15% of the residential units be uh, in a TIF project be for affordable housing. In Riverfront Crossings, that number is only 10, uh, 10%. Um, so we took the, the difference between the 10 and the 15, uh, which is, uh, it's 5%, but it's only two of the units and required those because they're going to be getting the TIF to happen on site. The other five uh, required by the Riverfront Crossings Code and having the flexibility to um, either be on site, off site, or uh, provided by fee in lieu, we're, we're letting him, them have that flexibility because that flexibility is built into the Inclusionary Housing Code. I know that was a very circuitous way of describing that, but. Very creative. That sounds good. It'll be before us on Tuesday anyhow, right? I get to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are the only changes, right? Okay. Anything else from staff? Uh, it looked like everybody uh, was available for a meeting on October 10th, so I'll send out a, a meeting announcement for that. Uh, I think that was all we had. That's all I had. Anything from the committee? Any other business? Do we have a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. Moved by Throgmorton, second by Cole. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? None. Three zero. We are adjourned.